We trust that God will add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word tonight. And beautiful words, six verses, short verses, long but filled with such encouragement. And this little chapter is written in light of the previous chapter. In the last couple of verses, if you remember this morning, in particular, we looked at the end of this morning's sermon at verse number 15 and 16 of Isaiah chapter 11, speaking about that third, you could say, that third level of prophecy that Isaiah was speaking of, first being that which involved the Assyrian army, the second involving the first coming of the Savior, and the third involving the second coming of Christ, the establishment of his kingdom on earth. And those last verses of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 15 and 16, speaks about that established kingdom. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, and with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river, and shall smite it in seven streams, and make men go over dry shod. And there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that, it came, that he came up out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, now this is how chapter 12 begins, and in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. If there's a title for this evening's message, it would be that. O Lord, I will praise thee. Beautiful words. But those words are spoken in light of that day. That day when finally all shall be well with our soul. Now, all can be well with your soul tonight. But there's coming a day when all will be well throughout the entirety of the earth. And in that day, the day that the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. The day that with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shod. Make men walk with their shoes through that river. Oftentimes when the Puritans of old were facing death or some of their congregations were facing death, then oftentimes we'd find them speaking about this river, this crossing that river, entering into the next land, the promised land. And so we have that picture here, that, that the way being opened and us walking through on dry land, just like the Israelites escaped Egyptian bondage through the Red Sea when the waters were parted by the very hand of Almighty God. After our journey on this highway, that's what the chapter speaks about in chapter 11 and verse number 16, there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people. After our journey on this highway is finally ended, when we've concluded our journey on that highway, it will conclude right there in Zion with Christ ruling and reigning. Once and for all, can you imagine finally, finally being delivered from all sin? Oh, I know we've been delivered 
uh, from the penalty and the wages of sin right now. That's what Paul alluded to in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You know the passage. And in, and in verse number 10, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver uh, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. We have been delivered, we're being delivered, and one day we will finally be delivered once and for all. And so Isaiah the prophet speaks about this final deliverance. No more temptation. Boy, that'll be a good day, won't it? No more temptation. All trials and tribulations come to an end. No more sin. No more corruption. No more up and down like a roller coaster. No more hot and cold. But finally, once and for all, delivered. And in that day, that great day of deliverance, then thou shalt say, O Lord, I will Praise thee. I've met some people who are filled with praise. And it's lovely to be around them. I had a telephone call this afternoon from a gentleman who said to me, For 30 years I've been wrestling and fighting with salvation. For 30 years I've known it's the right way or I've thought it's the right way. But only just this week have I finally yielded my soul to Christ. And I have been saved. And I said, tell me a little bit about it. He said, one thing I noticed about those who truly knew the Lord, they were always joyful people. That's the way it should be. Oh, Lord, I will praise thee. Look at this text. In that day, can you imagine the host of all of God's children, Gentile and Jew alike, together worshiping and praising the almighty Jehovah God. And the Bible says, O Lord, thou, I will praise thee. Look what it says. Though thou wast angry with me. Now we're going to find out why God's people will spend this time praising him. Because he was angry. Past tense. He no longer is. His anger is a thing of the past. Now, don't get me wrong. Listen very carefully. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. But we understand very clearly. In John chapter 3 and verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. But those of us who believe... The wrath of God has been removed from us. Thou wast angry with me. It's a thing of the past. No longer is he angry anymore with us. Those of us who are his children. Oh, there may be some times when we feel as if we've upset our heavenly father. But this is not the wrath, the judgmental wrath that so many will meet one day. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9 tells us this. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. He was angry. If you're a, a, a Christian this evening, if you've been born again by the precious blood of God, then the wrath of Almighty God is no longer upon you. He was angry with you, but not anymore. 
Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8 and 9 say this beautiful words, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Because Jesus, our Savior, took that wrath. This is why God's people in that day will lift their voices in unison in one great chorus. Oh Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me. At one time he was. Isaiah 53, later on in this great book of Isaiah, the prophet speaks about our Savior coming and how he would take upon him that wrath that so justly belonged to us. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted, and he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. O Lord, I will praise thee, because thou wast angry with me. And the next words of Isaiah chapter 12, thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Oh, he was angry. Make no mistake about it. The wrath of God was about to be poured out upon you and your unrighteousness and your ungodliness. But it was turned away. Turned away from me and poured out upon our great Savior. Turned away from me and poured out upon that rod out of the stem of Jesse poured out upon that branch out of his roots. And as if you needed to improve on that. Thou wast angry with me, but thine anger was turned away, and thou comfortest me. God's people will surround the throne that day all together and they'll lift their voice, Oh Lord, I will praise thee. Because at that moment when the anger and wrath of God was upon me, headed my way, it was turned from me, placed upon the Savior, and then God in mercy didn't just turn his wrath away, didn't just turn his anger away, he then visited us with comfort. Every parent understands this. Every parent understands what it is when their wrath and their anger boils and bubbles and the child weeps and cries or maybe trembles beneath the prospect of the trouble that they're in. And then a parent in love goes to that little child who knows they're in trouble, who knows they've done wrong. The parent takes that little one in his arms to comfort them, to let them know all is well. What a thought that the pure, just, holy God whom we have offended and sinned against 
would take us in his arms to wipe away all tears, to comfort us. Blessed are they that mourn, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, for they shall be comforted when we realize the awful reality of our sin and what we deserve and the reality of God's wrath that should be upon us, but instead was placed upon his son. We mourn and grieve over our sin, and then he sends to us the comforter. Oh, what a precious, precious gift. And that's why, O oh Lord, I will praise thee. O oh Lord, I will praise thee, because thou wast angry, thine anger was turned, and you comforted me. Keep looking. It goes on. And, look at verse number two. Behold, or look, as if they want all the world to see. Behold, God is my salvation. Look, God is my salvation. Can I tell you the comfort and the assurance and the surety that lies there? Not my good works is my salvation. Not look where I've come from. Look what I've done. Look at all the sermons I've preached. Look at how good I've been. No, 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 no. God is my salvation. Not my pastor. Not my church. God is my salvation. That's why they cry, Oh Lord, I'll praise thee. And because God is my salvation, I will trust and not be afraid. Can I tell you why so many people are, are, are doubting and so many people are fearful? It's because God is not their salvation. They're not trusting in God for their salvation. They're not trusting in the finished work of Jesus for their salvation. They're trusting in themselves and their performance or their behavior. And therefore, they tremble with fear. What do I need to be afraid of if God, the creator of the universe, is my salvation? I don't need to fear him. I don't need to be afraid of judgment if he has saved me. If he is my salvation. Charles Spurgeon said something very interesting one time. He said, hearken, O unbeliever. You have said, I cannot believe. But it would be more honest if you had said, I will not believe. The mischief lies there. Your unbelief is your fault, not your misfortune. It is a disease, but it is also a crime. It is a terrible source of misery to you, but it is justly so, for it is an atrocious offense against the God of truth that you wouldn't trust him, that you wouldn't believe him. He said again, the talk about trying to believe is a mere pretense, but whether pretense or no, let me remind you that there is no text in the Bible which says try and believe, but it says Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He has proved it by his miracles. He died to save sinners. Therefore, trust him. He deserves implicit trust and childlike confidence. Will you refuse him these? Then you have maligned his character and given him the lie. Trust him. If you're watching tonight and you do not trust him, if you're watching tonight and you want to be saved, but you say, I'm trying to believe. I don't know what to do. No, 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 no. The Bible doesn't say try. The Bible says believe. 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Look what else it says. For, for the Lord Jehovah, for Jah Jehovah, a double emphasis there, the self-existing one, twice mentioned in a row, the Lord Jehovah is my strength. Isn't that amazing? I don't stand in my own strength. We don't labor, we shouldn't labor in our own strength. He is my strength. Look what it says, threefold. He is my strength and my song and also has become my salvation. Is he your strength tonight? On the Pioneer Bible Club this afternoon, the, the object lesson was this. Some trust in horses and chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Is he your strength? Is he your song, meaning your joy? The joy of the Lord is my strength and my salvation. Therefore, look at the next verse. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. What a beautiful picture. An unending supply of salvation. A never ending supply. Not a drink of salvation, not a drop of salvation, but wells of salvation. Go with me to John chapter 4, if you would please. And we find this in the New Testament, John chapter 4 and verse number 14. Verse number 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And this is what we have. And this is why on, in that day all of God's people shall worship and adore and praise him because they are drawing from the wells of eternal life, the wells, the never-ending supply of salvation. Again in John chapter 7 and verse number 38, the Lord Jesus helps us to understand this truth again. He that believeth, verse 37, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scriptures hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. And again, in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse number 1, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah tells us the very same thing. In that day, again, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 17, you know the verse, For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. In that day, that day is coming sooner than you imagine. That day is coming very soon when the Lord Jesus shall return. He'll take care of business when he returns. There's some things he'll do when he returns. And then he'll set up his kingdom and all shall be well. We shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, praise the Lord. 
call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted, sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Now in that day it will be known in all the earth. But can I tell you something? It is our job now. It is our responsibility now to make his name known in all the earth. It's the commission we've been given now to tell of all his wondrous works. That little verse that was given to Pastor Bassett when he was uh, nearly died of a heart attack. He laid in the hospital bed and the scripture came to his mind, Thou shalt not die, but live to declare the works of the Lord. That's our job to declare the works of the Lord. And that's what's found here. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Now watch this last verse. Cry, cry out, and shout. Don't whisper at home. Not hide away. Not put your light under a bushel. No, no, no. Cry out, shout thou, inhabitant of Zion, the one living there. Why? For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. The greatest thing about that day, the greatest thing that we shall rejoice over in that day, is not that once he was angry and now his anger has been turned, it's not that he comforted us in all of our sorrows and griefs. It's not that he's our joy and our song and our strength and our salvation. It's not that we draw from the wells of salvation continuously, but the greatest joy in that day shall be when we see him face to face and the Holy One of Israel shall dwell in the midst of us. He shall live with us. Oh, yes, I know the spirit of the living God lives inside of us now. But that's just a foretaste of that which is to come. When we shall be able to look upon his face. We shall see him with our eyes. We shall behold him. He shall live in our midst. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? I'm longing for that day. Some of you may be watching tonight and thinking to yourself, Oh, I wish... I could say with certainty that I will be there that day, in that day. I wish I could say that in that day I would be there singing and rejoicing and praising and saying, Oh Lord, I will praise thee, but I'm not so sure. Well, I remind you. I remind you of why they could praise that way. I remind you of why they could be there because the Lord had delivered them. Just as he brought Israel out of Egyptian bondage, he opened the, the Red Sea and allowed them to walk out, delivered them, set them free. That's what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. When he shed his precious blood, he took the wrath of God that right now is setting upon you, because the Bible says, he that believeth not is condemned already. He took that wrath and condemnation upon himself, and if you would only believe... That's what John chapter 3 and verse number 36 says. If you would only believe, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. If you'd only believe. Stop saying you can't believe. Stop saying you're trying to believe. 
and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Cast yourself upon him, for he is your only hope. And may you be able to say with a multitude of others, God is my salvation. Nothing else. Tonight, if you know that you need to be saved, and listen to this text, look at this text, and see the glory of our Savior. You will either dwell with him for all eternity, or you will dwell in the lake of fire for all eternity. Without him. One or the other. I don't know about you, but the prospect of dwelling without him is a devilish, hellish thought. But oh, what joy floods our soul to imagine dwelling with him for all eternity. The Holy One of Israel. Great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Can I ask you tonight? Is he your salvation? Is he your strength? Is he your song? If he is, then let's take verse 6. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion. You say, well, we're not there yet, but we're on our way. And it's certain that we shall be there because God is our salvation. So cry aloud and shout now, thou inhabitant of, of Zion. And may the Lord teach us. May we begin now to say, oh Lord, I will praise thee. May our mouth and lips be filled with his praise instead of filled with grumbling and complaining and murmuring. May we draw constantly from that well of salvation. Oh, you might be feeling dry today. You might be feeling a little bit alone and far away from God today. Well, you've been given rivers of living water flowing from your belly. You've been given all that you need. There is a fountain that's been opened up unto you. Draw from it. All that you need is there. And if you are thirsty tonight, it's your own fault, not God's. All that you need is there. If you're seeking tonight, come. Come. Come to that wonderful Savior whose name has been lifted like a banner. Run to him. If you are a believer tonight, then cry aloud. Draw from those wells of living water. Begin to praise him. Think about how wonderful he is. Think about how he's turned his anger away. Think about how Christ has took that anger for you. And may the Lord help us as we approach that day. It's coming. If you can't tell that something's happening in the world right now, you either have your head stuck in the sand or you are as spiritually blind as can be. By the way, that's the work that Satan does. The work that Satan is involved in is a blinding work. That's what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. That's the problem. Your mind is blinded. It needs to be opened. Christian, wake up. Wake up. God is at work, moving, orchestrating all of these things for his glory and his honor and for our good. And we are headed to that day. What a glorious day it will be. Let's bow our heads together in prayer this evening before we sing our final hymn.